I, I got my focus on passion and empathy. Gaining perspectives, investing, I do believe. Money and grinding go hand in hand, you will see. I'm working smart, expanding my energy. Hope that you feeling me. I'm acting differently, you got a friend in me. I'm working hard to try and work smart. No time to complain, it's time to start. We gotta work. Future millionaires. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Future Millionaires. Today, we got on Brett Knudsen. And let me tell you guys, Brett has created multiple seven and eight figure businesses. He's raised venture funding multiple times. He runs a startup incubator and he has built amazing relationships. And he's done an even greater job maintaining them. So without further ado, Brett, how are you doing today? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So can you just give us a 60 second snippet of where you're at right now and everything you're up to? Yeah. So, um, right now my main focus is I have a marketing agency called monopolize. So it's uh, monopolize.com. I started that with the founder of fit T and the founding team of shipped that sold to target. And we uh, have clients anywhere from fortune 500 to startups to big personal brands like Grant Cardone. So that's what we do. That's what's up right there. So can you, can you dive a little bit into your um, early upbringing and just kind of, you know, the surroundings you were raised in and how you had your introduction to entrepreneurship and whatnot? Yeah. So I grew up in a township, uh, which is like the legal term for something too small to be considered an actual like town or city. So it was about 600 people and I was like 20 miles to the nearest gas station. And uh, all I really knew growing up, uh, growing up was like farmers and like blue collar workers. And I had to drive about, uh, we had to go about half an hour to my high school, which is in a small town called Northfield. And the mentality there, uh, because there's two colleges, two private colleges in that very small town was like, you have to go to college and you have to like get a degree and then like kind of work your way up in the world. And so I was actually pretty sheltered from entrepreneurship. I'd never heard the word entrepreneur, I don't think, or really understood what it was until I was an adult, which is crazy. Yeah. Looking back on that, just how, just how much of a bubble I was in. And so my first, uh, I guess you could say like exposure to entrepreneurship in quotations would be, uh, I joined like a network marketing company when I was like 17 or 18. And I got introduced to like who Tony Robbins was, right? Like, okay. I was like, man, this is amazing because my whole life I felt like a black sheep, but I never knew why. Like I, I knew a lot about what I didn't want, but I didn't know anything about what I wanted. So, you know, like I had a job as a cashier and I just knew that I really hated that. I hated trading, uh, you know, all my work for like $8 an hour. And I also hated that there was people who were right next to me that I would work 10 times harder than and they would get a raise uh, that was the same as the raise I got. And it just yeah. made no sense to me. And so I just knew a lot about what I didn't like, but I didn't know any other options. And, uh, and I was you know, planning on going to college and playing football in college. And I got, a really bad, uh, got in a really bad car accident uh, shortly after I graduated high school. And so that took away my ability to play football. And because I could no longer play football, I was like, well, then I no longer want to go to college. So I got into sales shortly after that because sales is kind of where all of the college dropouts land, especially the ones that want to have a chance of making a decent living. And so uh, what I liked about sales is I felt like I was earning a paycheck instead of collecting one. And I felt like I could actually make a little bit closer to what I felt like I was worth. 
And so by the time I was 20, I had like a six figure income, but it was in sales. And I, from there went to start a direct sales company and that ended up failing and I can keep going, but I mean, it was, it, it wasn't like a, just an easy, you know, up and to the right type of journey for me. No, totally. So, so I, there's a few things in there I want to touch on and ask some questions about. So the first one being is, um, first off, how is your experience with your MLM? Because a lot of people, especially young people I hear, you know, they're interested in going into one, but there's always skepticism. Is it a scam? Is it not a scam? You know, so how is your experience with that? Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing to understand is that it is the industry as a whole is a legitimate industry. And there are um, illegal schemes inside of that industry. And the, the easiest, it's, it's very easy to tell the difference. So an illegitimate company, the way that you can tell is, would you buy the product they're selling at the price that it's at if there was no uh, business opportunity attached to it? Mm. Right? So like, basically, do they have a good quality, real, tangible product at a price point that is somewhat reasonable? And if the answer is yes, then it's a legitimate company. If the answer is no, then, you know, it, it, that company could very well be shut down. So, but there's plenty of great companies out there. I have a lot, I'm friends with a lot of like the really big uh, high income earners mm -hmm. in those companies, even though I'm not, I haven't been involved in that industry in like uh, close to a decade. But the, um, the company that I started, the direct sales company that I started when I was 21 was essentially an MLM. Yeah. And so I, I, I have a lot more experience in that space than I would say a lot of people. But the biggest thing that I would say is it's not any easier than starting your own business. And a lot of people think that it is. It's really, really hard. Like it's a full time. You need to, you need to take it seriously and do it full time. I need to do all the stuff that isn't fun doing. And um, I don't think it's a bad industry. The, the only real downside is if you do it the wrong way, you can kind of alienate yourself from your friends. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people do it the wrong way, but it's changed a lot of people's lives and you can't really argue with that. So. That's a very good point. I really liked your perspective on that. Cause a lot of times I hear people just give one straight answer through it. And I'm like, you get, you got to look at the individual companies, which you clearly pointed out. So another thing I want to touch on is clearly at a very young age, you had a good background in selling and sales and you were able to scale to six figures by the age of 20, which some people in sales, you know, it takes them much, much longer if they ever get to that point. So what were some of the things that really helped you get that far at such a young age in sales? I think the biggest thing is I didn't have, I think there's a lot of power in your, in the beliefs that you have. And I know that everybody, it's, it's funny to me that most people think that anyone who talks about mindset, like mindset is fluff. Mindset's the most powerful thing in the world. And the problem is, is people who, uh, people who aren't successful generally tend to be more pessimistic and skeptical. And so they tend to not believe that a, mind, that a mindset is really all that big of a deal and that it must be luck or it must be the right timing. And sure, that stuff plays a role. But if you don't have the right mindset, you'll never get anywhere. Like it doesn't matter. None of it matters. And so for me, just not having anybody that told me that sales is supposed to be hard or that not everybody's good at sales. I didn't have anybody tell me that stuff. Like my parents were kind of uninvolved. Like they, they, they really didn't agree with my choice to drop out of college. And my dad didn't really talk to me a whole lot after that for a while. We're really, we're really great standing now. But, um, 
so I, they were just kind of like, Hey, you know, whatever, like you're going to do your own thing clearly, like whether we disagree with it or agree with it or not. And so because of that, like, I didn't have anybody say like, Hey, you realize sales is like really hard and not for everybody. Right. Like I didn't have anybody say that. So that was a big part of it. And then the other thing was, I just, I think I understood, uh, without anybody really telling me, it was just more kind of common sense, like the concept of modeling. Right. So I saw the number one sales guy Mm -hmm. and I just watched everything he did. And I noticed that there were some things that he did that I didn't feel like were probably the right thing to do. Not like he was unethical or anything, but just that it could be improved upon. So I literally copied everything he did that I thought was good and made better the things that I thought weren't good. And I became better than him. And I think that modeling is such an underrated thing. Like just copy the people, copy what works. Don't try and invent, you know, reinvent the wheel. So that was a big part of it for me. That's super valuable what you just brought there. And even for people, you know, who are younger, trying to get some income before they dive into entrepreneurial venture, whatever it is, starting in sales and really building it up that way would be definitely a good way to get some revenue. So I got another question here. It's, it's not exactly entrepreneurship related, it kind of is, but I noticed you said you um, were thinking about going to college for football before, you know, um, your injury occurred. So do you get the same feeling in entrepreneurship that you kind of did like before a game and stuff sometimes? Or, or do you like find like kind of parallels between football and entrepreneurship? So there's definitely parallels. I don't know if it's the same feeling, um, but I, I would say like the biggest parallel is the the competition you're in with yourself to get better um and i would also say to some degree there's there's definitely like mindset parallels too and i would say that you know a lot of times people who are not good at sports sure they you know there's genetic ability that comes into play and stuff but ultimately i think it's a lot of its mindset too and so ultimately if your belief level isn't there if your level of certainty isn't there, then the level of action that you take towards the result that you want is going to be very low. Mm-hmm. And taking that low action is going to give you an undesirable result. And so for me, right, it's all about visualization. And I, I did that in football, right? Like you picture yourself winning. You picture yourself being like being a champion. And so like if you do that often enough, that, that creates the belief you need in order to create the level of action that's necessary to achieve that result. And so for me, um, you know, obviously the competitive nature is like that. That's a huge thing. I think in a lot of entrepreneurs, whether it's with others or with themselves or both, but, uh, yeah, I think that, uh, excelling in sports helps in other areas in life for sure. Gotcha. So, so now can you dive a little bit into, you know, um, kind of your evolution in business? Cause you touched on some other, uh, so, some stepping stones in your early age, but kind of what business ventures you got into and then kind of how that's led you to that current business venture of marketing that you told us about today. Yeah. So I actually, um, I actually, so after that business failed, I thought that I wasn't cut out to be an entrepreneur after that. Like, mm-hmm. I think that that's almost everybody. Like they have one failure in them. And once that failure hits, it's like, oh, I guess I'm not supposed to do that, which is a totally, that's the wrong mentality about anything. And, uh, but that's most people, right? So it's like, oh, well, I tried it and it failed. So I just, I'm not supposed to do that. And so for me, I just went back into sales because this is what I know and this is what I know I'm good at. And I didn't really love it, but I just knew that I could, you know, I'm like, oh, I guess I'm just going to be one of those people who, you know, makes a good living, but doesn't love work. 
which like what a miserable like that's just like that's everybody right and i i never wanted to be like that but I, that's pretty much what i settled for i think that the the enemy of great isn't terrible the enemy of great is like good enough mm. and so for me um i just kind of settled and then the only reason i got back into entrepreneurship was because i had a really really strong compelling why like a reason for wanting to to start again and it was my mom so my mom uh, is chronically disabled and she has been for a long time my parents divorced when i was 14 so between her disability uh, which caused her to lose her license the fact that my parents are divorced and the fact that all of us are were out of the house she's just by herself all day every day um, and unfortunately that's pretty much still true to this day and so her loneliness really kind of sparked um, me trying to figure out some sort of solution for her and like searching on Google and just trying to figure out what the heck I could do to help. And back in like 2012, 2013, there was really nothing out there. Like any solution that anyone can think of now just did not exist uh, at all or to the level that it does now. And so I was very naive and decided to create the solution for her. And the benefit of being naive is you don't realize how hard things are. So you just try. I mean, like trying to create a social network is hands down the hardest thing that anybody could ever possibly try to do, especially if they don't know how to code at all, which I did not. All right, so like no coding experience. And uh, here I am trying to start a social network. So I moved, I ended up moving across the country to Silicon Valley. And uh, I slept on the floor because I couldn't afford a mattress of an illegally modified 1200 square foot house, which is like the size of a two bedroom apartment that I shared with over 20 other people. So they had modified the garage into two bedrooms. They had modified the living room into a bedroom. So if you can imagine like everything in this house was a bedroom except the kitchen. So it's just tons and tons of bedrooms and then the kitchen and that was it. We all shared one kitchen and like one fridge, which sharing one fridge is worse than anything. Like when this is like 20 people, yeah. there's a family of seven, like a husband, wife and, and five kids living in one bedroom of this house. And, uh, I'm like walking back and forth from my like part-time entry-level retail job every day because I couldn't, uh, I, I, my car ended up like crapping out on me and I ended up not being able to afford a car. So I'm walking like miles and miles every day to and from work and uh, wearing holes in my shoes, which I don't know if my, I don't know if my shoe is around here, but um, it, it, I, I literally kept my shoe because it's yeah. like it's symbolic of that whole journey. But um, Long story short, after 20 months of trying to raise money and get my company going, I finally uh, raised a round of funding right as I was in the process of giving up from the co-founder of EA Games or Electronic Arts. And that turned into what ended up eventually becoming a multi-million dollar uh, thing. And um, the company at its peak valued at like $22 million. And shortly after that, uh, what nobody tells you is that, you know, if, if you have hundreds of thousands of people using your product or service in pretty much anything, you're a billionaire. I mean, like if you think of uh, any product, you have hundreds of thousands of people buying a product. I mean, it's just, it's, it's crazy. Uh, but if you have hundreds of thousands of people using a social network, you're not only like, not only is that not enough, but you're actually burning through hundreds of thousands of dollars of cash every month. 
And so it just wasn't enough people. And so we started having to look at like pivoting opportunities and stuff. And keep in mind too, there's a lot that I'm leaving out basically during long bouts of development work, which yeah. I couldn't do. I also started other companies. So one company was a watch company, uh, like a, a watch company. We're still in stores today. Um, another company was a service-based company called Metaphone, which uh, was like an outsourcing uh, agency where we would outsource appointment scheduling for people in the medical space. And uh, that company got acquired. So lots going on over the yeah. course of like, this is like five years, five, six years. And uh, we ended up pivoting Hive. I ended up uh, leaving a CEO and I'm still on board as chairman. Hive's still around today. It's just not a social network anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and then when I left, I started Monopolize because we just had a lot of demand for people wanting to know how I did what I did with Hive because we worked with a lot of influencers and celebrities and stuff. And so um, I just kind of rallied the very biggest, baddest and the best of like my friends mm -hmm. that I knew could add a ton of value. And we partnered up and, and created Monopolize. So that's like a lot of information. I know I just went over a lot of stuff, but um, that's my story in a nutshell. No, I mean, that's great. And I definitely want to touch on some of those points, you know, throughout that, throughout that journey. So the first one that came to my mind is how did you find a good developer? If you didn't know anything about code yourself, you know, like how did you go about actually seeking someone? And once you find them, knowing that they're actually going to be good at what they say they're going to do. So the short answer is I didn't. Uh, <laughs> I, I found a horrible development team that scammed me out of like $50,000 first. And that is why I always, here's the thing, right? Like a lot of people have, um, a lot of people have varying opinions on like mentors and like these people who are like selling online courses and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. The reality is, is if you can learn from other people's mistakes instead of always from your own, you're going to save way more time and money than you ever would than you ever would if you invested in reading about it or, or paying for a course or learning from a mentor or buying someone dinner and talking to them like, it's so much more expensive to make all your own mistakes. And I made all of my own mistakes. I did everything the longest, hardest, and most expensive way possible. And so eventually, eventually, I found uh, the right development team, and I used a broker, and they were in the Ukraine. Uh, and so I actually would fly to Ukraine constantly, and uh, we ended up building a team of you know several dozen people out there. And, but that, I mean, it, the long, long, painful learning curve yeah that process i could imagine so so um when you you know we're talking about you had you know hundreds of thousands of users yet at the same time you had hundreds of thousands in expenses what were some of those unexpected expenses were those all developmental costs or like what was that looking like yeah so our development cost was about sixty thousand a month um but a lot of it was hosting so that's something nobody ever talks about like just hosting an, an insane amount of data. I mean, hundreds of thousands of people posting photos and videos and text constantly, several posts a day, like all the replies and just all the data that you're storing. And every single day since the data is being saved, right? Just like on Facebook, yeah. you can scroll back and see a post from 2008. Mm -hmm. Every day, because the data being saved grows, so does the hosting cost and it never stops growing. Oh, so like to give you an idea, Twitter's hosting costs last year were over $200 million. Like it's insane. And that's Twitter, which, you know, up until 
recently, like for the, for the longest time was only text and it was text mm -hmm. and photo only. So if you can imagine, like we were right out of the gate, we were gifts and video and photos and like the whole thing. So hosting was a huge chunk of that. And then obviously staff and, um, you know, marketing and, and, and everything else. So it, it really, really adds up. Yeah, that's definitely, that's something very valuable you shared there too. Cause I feel like a lot of times people get into businesses without really knowing the true actual structure and unexpected experiences. So many people actually realize going into that. So that'll definitely at least make people think before they, before they dive into something, which, you know, like you said though, every now and then it is very good to be foolish, you know? But yeah, well, here's the thing. It's always better to take a risk and fall on your face than to never try anything at all. If you always pick the easy choices and the comfortable choices, you'll end up with a very hard and uncomfortable life, mm -hmm. right? Like it, it, you can't, you can't just take the road, like you can't just take the road that everybody else takes and expect to have a different result. And so, um, I think that the, the, the rewards that you get in life are completely uh, in tandem with the level of risks that you're willing to take. And I think that it, you know, just, uh, in Elliot Bisno's words or whatever, like the adventures only happen to the adventurous. So, you know, yeah, I definitely hear that. So speaking of something adventurous, when you went down to Silicon Valley and you're like literally just throwing yourself out there being in a home with 20 people sleeping on the floor, like most people, if they were to sleep on the floor, like, I don't, I don't even know, like, after a night of that or like a week of that, like that has to not just physically be wearing, but mentally. So how did you do that for so long before you were able to actually land funding? Yeah. Well, so uh, you're driven for a while by, like I said, just being naive and, and you're driven by like the, the vision of it coming to fruition, right? Like every entrepreneur has had those moments where like, they're like, man, you know, like this is going to be amazing. I'm going to do this. I'm going to change the world. I'm going to, you know, like make a billion dollars. It's like all this ridiculous stuff. Right. And, and that's what drives a lot of people. But at some point, no matter how, no matter who you are, it wears, it wears out. And for me, that moment where it wore out was the one year anniversary of me having slept on the floor in this place and still not having raised a penny. I mean, that was the most like depressing moment I think I've ever experienced because here I am, keep in mind the whole time, right? All my friends and family back home were saying, Hey, how's that app thing going? Yeah. Hey, how's it, you know, how's the raising money coming along, right? This whole time, which just makes it so much worse. And so the one year anniversary comes along, which is not something to celebrate because I thought I would have been long, long gone out of there. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I'm really good at, you know, lying to myself and basically, you know, like, oh, I'm not giving up. I'm just buying a plane ticket home and I'll just raise money from home. Even though I, move, I moved because I knew there was no venture capital opportunities in Minnesota where I'm from. Yeah. And uh, so it's literally just lying to myself, right? Oh, I'm just buying, play. I'll buy it for a month out because, you know, that way I'll have like another month here still. And I'm sure I'll raise money in the next month, even though I haven't for the whole year I've been out here. Just all this, like, right, the lies we tell to ourselves and the excuses we make so that we don't feel so bad uh, giving up. And so I, I actually purchased a plane ticket and it was uh, for a month out, mostly because I couldn't afford a plane ticket any sooner. And uh, the morning after at 8am, the morning after I bought that plane ticket, I got a $150,000 phone call for our first round being filled. And it's just like, how close 
must so many people be to striking oil when they just walk away? I mean, can you imagine if, if say like, sure, what I was doing was a little bit different, right? What I was doing was raising money. And so it was a phone call, but what if, what if I gave up that night on an e-commerce store? I don't get the phone call the next day. Like when, when you give up on that, it's done. It's done, right? Maybe the very next product I would have tried would have been the, the one, right? So but true. I'll never know. And so, so many people, they give up right before they would strike oil. And so that's the biggest thing is I think most people who are successful just want it more and they just go at it for like harder for longer and they just don't give up. And they're so focused and so persistent towards that one thing that it's almost like the, I'm a Christian, but it's almost like the universe bends and like has to give way to that level of force, right? Because yeah. it's just like, this person is so strong-willed and so persistent that it literally doesn't matter how, it doesn't matter what the, what the odds are, right? A lot of people say, you know, there's like, I don't know if you knew this or not, but there's only a 0.09% chance of raising uh, funding the way that I did. I did not. And if I looked, if I looked at that, those odds and I said, holy cow, like less than a, less a fraction of a percent. The problem is, is human beings are not odds based. Right. If I said there's a 70% chance of you failing, that means nothing. All it means is that if you put a hundred random people in a room, 70 of them would fail. Mm. It doesn't mean that you're flipping a coin and you might be one of the 70. It's based off of whether or not you want it more than the other 70. I love that. Right. And so human beings are not based on odds. So sure, I did something that only a fraction of a percent of people ever do, but it's because I wanted that more than a, 99 point whatever percent of other people want it right yeah and people have to realize that and that right there guys was huge like literally if you think about it too just adding on to that your life is so long like think about that you were trying that for over a year to raise funding imagine if you tried that for 30 years like if that's really like a goal that one of you guys want to look at like you have so much time to achieve that and if you really put all that effort in in all your being and don't give up on that there's so much time for you to achieve that goal i mean even colonel sanders i think he was like 60 something when he started kfc so even when you're older like if you have that focus that determination like just like brett said don't be a percentage, just create your own destiny. Screw percentages telling you what to do, like do what you want to do. So I love that so, so much. Now, pivoting just a little bit here, still, uh, so you talked a little bit about, you know, starting a software company and how that was extremely hard. And you probably wouldn't advise that for the first company for, you know, any, no, business, no. but for the record, for the record, not to interrupt, but I, I would not recommend starting any company that requires outside capital for your first company hmm. uh, or any company that is not based in any area of any strengths or skills you already have as your first company, unless it's absolutely necessary or your reason for doing it is so far beyond you and so far beyond money that you'll just crawl over whatever obstacles there are. But if you just want to get to the point where you're financially successful and you can pay your rent as an entrepreneur, that's definitely like 
not the right way to go <laughs> you know so yeah. but yeah sorry continue <laughs> no totally so so what say somebody you know th this isn't their first business and they're listening to this right now what would be some clear-cut action steps to help someone get started with their own software company um yeah so i mean with a software company the first thing would be the first question i would ask is do you have any ability to code yourself which i'm assuming in this case you wouldn't um, if they're asking that question. So the first thing would be you need to find a co-founder who can code and ideally try and scrap this together without having to raise money. And if you do have to raise money, there's a whole series, a whole process you need to go through first. And that includes, you know, basically making your company as tangible and as real as possible before you ever put it in front of somebody else who cannot ever see it the way that you see it or have the vision that you have only you will ever have the vision you have for your own company so you need to make that as real as you possibly can before you ever present it to like an investor right so you need to have some sort of a prototype done or at least have the design of a prototype done you need to have a pitch deck done you need to have your business plan and like your marketing strategy you need to have all that dialed in before you ever ever uh pitch it to anybody else because there's zero value and people are going to hate like hearing this there's zero value in an idea None, zero value. The only value is in an ex is in the execution of an idea. One hundred percent of the value is in the execution. Do you know how many times people have said, "Oh, I came up with the same idea"? Right. So many people, and it's like, yep. "Sorry, who cares?" Do you know how many great ideas I've came up with that I didn't act on? Nobody cares. I'm not getting royalty checks for those ideas, right? Mm -hmm. And so you just have to understand that when an investor is considering investing in you or when someone's considering partnering with you or when an employee is considering taking stock options instead of a pay, uh, instead of a paycheck from you, they need to believe in your ability to execute on the idea. So you need to show the execution as much as you can first before you expect anybody else to hop on board. Love that. That's huge right there. So also too, one thing that you were able to execute on and you carried over into your marketing business was that of having, you know, celebrities, influencers endorsing what you're doing. Can you explain how you were able to do that? Especially, you know, coming from a town of, I think you said 600 people, a township. Yeah. So I definitely had zero, zero, like negative network, like no <laughs> valuable network at all when I first got started. And so what I did was I, I actually did something I kind of, I feel like in a way, I hope, and maybe I invented it, I don't know. Uh, I, I do what I call reverse engineering warm networks, which is something that you can really only do now because of social media, which a lot of people, if you're a consumer of social media, it's probably just harming you. But if you're a producer behind social media, it can, I mean, it's incredible what people can do. And so what's amazing is I'm sure you've heard of like six degrees of separation, like the law of six degrees of separation. Are you familiar with that? I actually am not. Okay, so basically what it means is that you are only six connections away from anybody in the world, whether it's Bill Gates or a random laborer in a third world country. You are only six people, six connections away. Mm -hmm. And I've read other places, seven degrees. Um, social media certainly made that a little bit smaller. But what's amazing about, say, Instagram, for example, is most people only follow people that they know, like, and trust, which means you, could, for the first time in the, in the history of time, you can see the degrees. And this is so powerful and nobody's utilizing this. You can see the degrees. If you want to become friends with a celebrity, you can see who their friends are. And then you can go to their friends pages and see who their friends are and go to their pages and see who their friends are. And you can, you can add value, right? Lead with value, 
establish a relationship with somebody who's four degrees away from somebody you want to eventually meet and you can work your way back up the ladder and leverage relationships and, and networks and everything to get to the point where you can be friends with anybody you want. And as long as you're building relationships the right way, which consists of a couple things, the first is leading with value. So never just ask from somebody, always lead with value, mm -hmm. try and uh, add value repeatedly. Don't expect anything in return. And ideally, if you really want to stand out when it's, uh, when someone offers to reciprocate the value, which all high quality people will reciprocate the value. If they're not reciprocating the value, they're a low quality person. No high quality person wants to just take. It's very uncomfortable for them. So they'll offer to reciprocate the value. And when that happens, that is your opportunity to instead take that value for yourself, which is what most people do, right? That's a short-term thinking mentality. Mm -hmm. You can instead recycle that value onto somebody else in your network who could be a mutually beneficial introduction for that person, right? And now you become like a go-to or a plug and people think of you when they need help, which is yeah, an amazing place to be. Can you break that down a little bit? Like kind of like an example of what that would look like. Yeah. So like say, uh, so for example, there, um, I'm just trying to think of an example I've actually done in real life. Uh, do you know who Tom Bilyeu is? Yeah. So Tom Bilyeu and I were in a green room for uh, Dan Fleischman. You know who Dan Fleischman is? For Dan Fleischman's birthday event in September of last year. And Tom was talking about, so Tom started a company called Quest Nutrition, which is sold for like a billion dollars. It's the Quest, Quest bars. Yeah, my brother eats them all the time. <laughs> yeah. So, so Tom uh, actually is getting into a totally, totally, totally new space. And he's trying to start a media company. That's basically like, uh, it's almost like a streaming version of Disney, um, but like for like inspirational, like encouraging content. It's really cool what he's doing, but it's a totally new industry for him. Totally new. So here's this person who's extremely successful in a field where they know nothing and they know no one. And so that's an opportunity, right? Yeah. So uh, one of my friends, his name is Ryan Shinman. He's like one of the most powerful people in the entertainment space. He's the guy who like brokered. Uh, like the billion dollar deals between Beyonce and DirecTV and, um, you know, like the Justin Timberlake and the Super Bowl, like all these big celebrities and big companies and um, has connections everywhere in the entertainment space. I made that introduction, right? So now uh, Tom is floored at, at his ability to, to meet, you know, this, this Ryan guy and Ryan is amazed at Tom and all that he's accomplished. And I've just established a new friendship, right? That I'm being given credit for on both parties ends, right? So now we don't, we don't keep track, but if we did, right, they, they feel like they owe me one. We don't keep track, but if we did, I've added value first. That's yeah. the important thing. Now, right, Tom or Ryan, one of them comes back to me and says, hey, you know, thank you so much for that introduction. What can I do for you? That's a huge opportunity. And most new entrepreneurs, when you're in a place of desperation and you're just starting out, you're like, oh, yes, cashing in. Now's my chance, right? Don't do that, though. Just a little bit of delayed gratification is like a 10 times better payout. So instead, say, hey, you know what? I don't actually need anything right now. The best thing that you can do to help me is to just be available next time I know somebody who needs help from someone like you. Mm. And not only will you establish a very, very powerful, memorable uh, relationship with them because they've probably never heard that come out of anybody's mouth ever. But on top of that, 
uh, you have a favor you can pull for someone else in your network that needs that value who can also hopefully the goal is that they can also that person who needs the value can also reciprocate value in some way so it's a mutually yeah. beneficial connection every time and you can build a very very powerful network that way very very quickly and nobody ever does that because it takes long-term thinking and it takes constantly pushing away your opportunity to, to take the value back and constantly pushing away your opportunity to take the value back. And it's very, very hard to do, especially when you're first yeah. starting out. But the yields are so much greater if you can, if you can experience that. So, so when do you see, you know, that value come back onto you? Cause I have a few ideas in my mind, but I just want to see, you know, from straight from you, how, how, you know, you're helping all these other people out. How does that, you know, come back to you? So sometimes it doesn't. And that's the important thing that you need to understand. Sometimes it won't, but when it does, it'll come back in such tremendous ways. If you ever need help, it's always going to be there. Right? So if you're ever in a rough spot, it's always going to be there. And it'll sometimes it'll come back in uh, in the form of like forced returns, right? So a lot of these high quality people, they just refuse to accept that answer. And so they'll start paying attention to you and they'll start trying to figure out how they can help you. And so they'll start actually actively helping you without you even asking, just because that's the way that a lot of these people are, right? So yeah. generally, it's, it's really funny because growing up in the middle class, you're kind of told that rich people are evil and um, and in my experience, it's been the exact opposite. I think that most of the successful people that I know are some of the most generous, most positive, most optimistic, most kind, caring people that I've ever met. And sure, there's exceptions. Money just amplifies who you are. So if you're a terrible person, you'll be able to afford to be a much more terrible person. But generally, it's the, it's the generous people that get ahead in life. And, uh, and money just affords them to be all that much more generous with their time, with their resources and everything else. So that's that's the biggest thing and then uh what was the other what was the other part of the question so we had oh we talked about how you so you you lead with value mm -hmm. and then you start at the bottom of the chain right yeah. so the bottom of this reverse engineer uh process and then you just if you're it's proximity right so if you're around the person and you're helping the person often enough then eventually you'll meet someone who's like the next tier up so one of the things i always tell people is if you want to get close to somebody get close to the people they're close to Mm -hmm. Right. So if, if someone wanted to get access to somebody who's very hard to get access to, mm -hmm. be, uh, befriend their assistant. Right. Befriend like like get close to the people that they're close to, because that's going to be the best way to get an introduction to them anyway. Yeah. So it's it's just about um, making sure that you're not taking the shortcut because like there's no uh, there's no way to cut corners in life and win. And then also just making sure that whenever you do have that opportunity, that you're maximizing on it, you're practicing delayed gratification. And also, if you ever meet somebody who's a hero of yours, that is a huge opportunity to make sure that you solidify that as a friendship and not, uh, not have that relationship settled with you as a fan. Mm. So I, I never take photos with people unless they ask for the photo. I have way more phone numbers and friendships with amazing people than I have photos with them. And I don't post a lot on, you know, I'm, I should, probably should post more, but I don't post a lot on my Instagram because I don't have a lot of photos because I don't take photos with the people that I meet with every day. Yeah. Right. So for me, it's, it's investing into that relationship, paying attention to them and not worrying about what's in it for me all the time. Mm -hmm. And I actually really understand and I totally respect and I, I, I get 
the young hustling entrepreneur mentality of like, I, I, you know, I just met so-and-so gotta grab a photo. Like this is like my lifelong dream. Don't do it. Mm -hmm. I challenge you to not do it. And if people don't believe you, who cares? Right. Yeah. Instead, use that opportunity to create a meaningful connection with that person. That's what's up. That's what's up. So w one more thing I want to touch on in there. Uh, when you're starting out, right, say you want to connect with somebody who even has like 50 million followers and you're down, you know, at towards the bottom of the chain. And that sounds bad, but you know what I mean? And, and steps up to get to that person. Um, and how do you choose, you know, like if they're following, like somebody's following like a thousand people. And so how do you decide like which one you're going to try to, you know, befriend? Well, so you would start with finding. So first off, if say you're trying to become friends with like Justin Bieber, if you go through who he's following and you try and find the person with the smallest no amount of followers, you're not the first person to do that. Right. Like, so they're, they're, those people are used to that. So you actually have to take it a couple, you have to take a couple uh, tiers away. So like if you're looking to connect with somebody with, you know, 50 million followers, you wouldn't find somebody with a thousand that they're following because that person is like used to being the channel for like any news outlet that wants to talk to that person, anybody who's trying to talk to them, like they're sick and tired of the messages. So instead you just find somebody who's maybe has 5 million followers. And then from that person, you find somebody who they're following who has 500,000 followers, right? Mm -hmm. And then you, you know, find a way to lead with value to people who are more accessible. And so with Hive, I, I didn't want to work through a bunch of people who I knew were going to take massive margins to, you know, facilitate these relationships. So I wanted to make the relationships myself. And so even today uh, with Monopolize, my agency, we don't really pay ourselves on top of what an influencer gets paid. If we're doing an influencer marketing campaign, because we have such good relationships built with these influencers that if they would normally charge a half a million dollars, we can get the post done for 200,000 because we're friends with them. Mm. And then we can, we can take, you know, 150, $200,000 on top of that and save the client a hundred grand versus yeah. if they just went to the influencer themselves. Yeah, that's huge. Right. So relationship capital is just the most valuable capital in the world. And I think that most people don't, uh, they don't realize that until they're much, much older. And if you can just realize that when you're young, and do the right thing, even though it's really hard sometimes, it, the rewards pay off so much bigger in the end. That is very, very valuable. And I'm definitely going to, you know, listen back to this and definitely apply that into my own life because that's something I've been trying to, you know, build upon. And so one thing too with relationships, because you just stressed the importance of them. Now it's very important to establish it. Now maintaining that relationship, I know sometimes in my personal life, it's like, it's not an awkward situation, but you're at a point where you're like, I haven't talked to this person in a while. I still, you know, like respect them, you know, like want to keep that relationship, but I don't really have a reason to be reaching out to them for anything. How do you kind of go about maintaining those relationships? So social media is a gift. Once again, if you're a producer mindset and if you're, if someone has an Instagram, just replying to their stories, so you stay top of mind commenting on their posts, liking their posts, you stay top of mind. Being top of mind is more important than trying to always reach out to the person because most successful people are busy and the last thing they want is a, hey, how are you text? Mm. Like I'm, I'm telling you right now, I love the, the hustlers in my life that have my phone number, but I cannot stand just the like, hey, how's life? I, what am I supposed to say to that, right? And I, and I can only imagine what somebody who is, you know, 10 or 20 times my influence what their cell phone's like. 
So don't add, don't be another headache. Just stay top of mind, uh, like and comment on their stuff, engage with them where they want to be engaged and only ever reach out if there's a reason, a real reason to reach out because being respectful of somebody's time when they value their time very highly is the best thing that you can do. And then of course, if you want to stay even more top of mind and just making sure that if, if it's someone who goes to events, you can be at those same events and stuff like that. Um, but ultimately it's, it's better to just stay top of mind than it is to proactively say, Hey, how are you every, you know, yeah. two weeks? Yeah, so. no, that's, that's super good because that definitely, you know, I feel like will help a lot of people who kind of are sending those texts or have the same situation as they're wondering that. So the last thing on relationships here, and I want to spend some more time on this because clearly, like you said, it's extremely valuable. But the last thing here is when do you know to kind of abandon a relationship? Because in a lot of ways, you know, sometimes you see your friends and whatnot putting too much into a relationship where the other person isn't necessarily good for them. Or even like when you're networking, say like nobody ever really like, you, you know what I mean? So like, when do you decide like this relationship just isn't healthy? Um, I think that everybody usually knows what relationships are not healthy and they just don't know how to navigate that. So it's, mm -hmm. I would say most people know, like, you know what, this person's not life-giving. They're not encouraging. Uh, they don't believe in what I'm doing. They're toxic in some way. They're encouraging bad habits uh, that I'm trying to get rid of. Whatever it is, they're really negative. Um, people like that, is, here's the thing. What if it's a family member? Yeah. Right? And so, and a lot of people, I mean, I know a lot of people that are dealing with that. That's something I've dealt with too. And so you can't always just ax them out of your life. Right. What if what if the negative person or what if the what if the hurtful person or what if the person encouraging bad habits is literally a sibling or a parent? Yeah. So in that case, it's just a matter of distancing yourself and working on yourself. And you still can talk to them. Right. But it's spending a lot less time with them and making sure that you're you're calculating and making sure your time is being spent way more with the people who are building you up and, and encouraging you and believe in you and then get to the point where you can become an influence in their life rather than them being an influence in yours. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, there's still people to this day, people that sure I'll talk to and you know, I'll, I, I wish the best for them. And there are people that maybe I grew up with, or like I said, people in my extended family or whatever, but I'm not going to spend a tremendous amount of time with them. Yeah. And in reality, uh, they wouldn't really enjoy hanging out with me anyway, because they like, we can't relate to each other. Very I'm true. too, I'm too positive and I'm too optimistic and I'm not realistic. Right. Yeah. Or whatever. So oh, all we would do is irritate each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a super good way to put it. So now this is something where it's huge. And this is something I always kind of find myself even stuck with. So you always hear you want to build a valuable skill so you can leverage it to provide value to others too, you know, and also to leverage in your own business. So now <laughs> building a valuable skill, it takes some time. So deciding which skill you're going to build, that is a kind of a big choice. You know, you can always pivot it if you find out you don't like it. Cause like I said, you have a lot of life to live, but what advice do you have, especially for young people who are seeking their valuable skill to build, not just for today's day and age, but just for the long term. you know, like what valuable skill should they really be focused on? So I think that, uh, 
the word sales is almost the wrong word because really it's just being an effective communicator, which breaks down into relationship building. It obviously breaks down into sales. It breaks down into building teams, management, the whole nine. Yeah. Um, so being an effective communicator uh, is an extremely valuable skill. But outside of that, like other high income skills, there's obviously software engineering, there's uh, copywriting, there's plenty of other options. The important thing is that you're doing something that's of interest to you because if you're just doing it because of the money, you'll burn out so fast. Like that's a really, really, you should always optimize for happiness. Yeah. Always optimize for happiness, not just based off of money because uh, it, I know a lot of very miserable people with a lot of money. And I know a lot of happy people who don't necessarily make a lot of money. So optimize for happiness first and foremost. Uh, and it doesn't always need to be something you're passionate about, right? Um, it can just be something you have an interest in. Like it's very intriguing. It's a curiosity. Um, yeah. and, and sometimes you need to know when something is supposed to just be a hobby. And I don't mean that in the way that a condescending parent means it, where it's like, hey, you know, what's your backup plan? That's not what I mean. What I mean is I like to play piano and drums. I played piano and drums and I played piano since I was four. But for me, if I, I tried getting paid to be like a professional musician and it wasn't enjoyable for me anymore. Yeah. So sometimes if, it, you know, adding money into a hobby makes it not fun. And so you have to know the difference between, you know, having a passion that's supposed to be a hobby versus maybe having a passion that you actually enjoy, um, you know, trying to monetize. And there is a difference there. So that would be something that I would uh, recommend too. But as far as like what, what high income skill to pick, it's really more based off of your natural inclinations and strengths, mm -hmm. which is something if you don't know what those are, you can uh, ask people close to you because they know what they are. Yeah, no, that's super cool. So one thing I always wonder, because a lot of times, like you said, um, sales is a broad term, but when you're actually talking about actual like sales, say I'm a very good salesman, right? Um, how would I be able to leverage that for, you know, someone else? What would you say going to them and saying like, Hey, you know, like I'll work for free and selling this. I've noticed that, you know, you've had a drop in revenue or whatever. Well, maybe not that way, but you know what I mean? How would you leverage, how would you leverage your, uh, your ability? Notice your business is crippling, just like yeah. failing miserably. Let, let me save it quick. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, I think the whole, let me work for you for free thing works, uh, but it works a lot less uh in the influencer world at least like i i and i'm just trying to help somebody like i yeah. i love the mentality and the heart behind that so much but i would recommend working for free offering that to somebody who's not uh an, an influencer on instagram because they like i get so many offers like that and the problem is i don't even know how to I don't know, like, it's like, I, how are you going to help me? You know, and like, how do I know if you're good at what you do? Like, there's just too much work involved with that. And, uh, and it's kind of like when people say like, hey, I'd love to help you. Let me know I can help. It's just too broad. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's, so I would say that like, that's something you can do. But ultimately, I think that just getting an entry level job in sales, even if you don't need it, even if you're successful in business, like already with an online business, like it's never, ever, ever going to hurt you. It can only help yeah. because communicating is, uh, it's like almost like a lost art and with social media and everything and how often everybody's on their phones, uh, and like not on their phone, but like in yeah. their phone, it's, uh, becoming more and more of a rare commodity too. Yeah, I definitely hear that. And so going off, you know, always being engulfed in kind of phones and modern technology, how do you view focus and how that relates to entrepreneurship? Oh, focus is a superpower. 
and every single day that passes even more so because we live in a very distracted world and uh there's you know shiny ball syndrome people everywhere and there's so many opportunities right so many opportunities and so i like i said i understand it all i understand the hustler who's trying to offer value for free and i appreciate that i understand the person who's you know trying to figure out what's going to work for them if they're trying to make money online or whatever i understand it all but it there's a difference between what i understand and what i know works mm -hmm. and what i know works is sticking to one thing and like just figuring it out and like a lot of people are like well how do i know when to quit don't worry about that right now right you you you're asking how do i know when to quit when you've just got started yeah okay and so just realizing that all the people that you look up to all the people you look up to have way more failures than they have successes way 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 more and it's just learning how to learn again like becoming resourceful cuz we're you know, we live uh, in a society where we're taught what to learn, how to learn it, when to learn it, what pages to read, what to think of what we're learning, which is so messed up. Okay, learn how to learn again, learn how to leverage the resources available to you, be resourceful and understand that if somebody can do it, you can do it too, unless it's like a professional sport, right? <laughs> There's obvious uh, yeah. things there that there might be some differences. But like, when it comes to being an entrepreneur, if somebody else can do it, you can probably do it too. It's just a matter of figuring out how they did what they did and just being resourceful and being persistent. Yeah, no, that's great. What you just said reminded me of something like when we grow up, we're, we, we admire people who had a very different path yet we're taught to be quote unquote the same, to be average basically like, but that's not what we look up to. That's not what we admire to. So why are we aspiring for something less than what we admire? You know, like, it's yeah. a pretty weird system. And I just think that's a very good point that you made there. Yeah, well, I think ultimately the, the biggest problem is that we're looking at people and we're comparing their end result and who they are now to who we are when we're just starting. And we're saying, well, you know, of course he's successful at this. He's got so much charisma. It's like, well, yeah, he developed the charisma over a decade and was bullied and picked on in middle school for being an introvert. Right. So you, you just, people are comparing the end result of someone who's yeah. already currently right now successful to them in their current state, not being successful and saying, well, they have this character trait I don't have. And that's why they're successful and I'm not. And what I'm telling everybody is that's not true. They developed the character traits that made them successful. Who they became in the process is why they're successful. And you can do that, too. Right. But so many people are so they're comparing two totally different uh, you know, they're comparing the end result of the race versus like the start of the race and expecting to see the same thing. And you're never going to see that. True. Right. True. So it's, it's very discouraging if you don't realize that. Cause you're like, man, there's nobody who's successful. That's like me. It's like, well, yeah, but that's because you're not successful yet. You'll become that person. Yeah. That's right? who you become in the process. No, that's, that's great. I love that. So we're getting towards the end here. I just got a few more questions left. And one of them is, you know, how do you set up your environment for success? So what I would say is you do need to have some degree of routines. And I know that everybody, you know, I'm, I'm honestly really tired of, I think a false narrative going around of like, you know, you have to wake up at 4am and like go on a four mile run to be successful. Here's the reality. Uh, if, if something's already hard for you, say that, say that reading is something that you, that doesn't come naturally to you. You don't love to read, or maybe it's working out, whatever it is. 
if something's already hard, it's way harder at 4 a.m. if you're not a morning person, right? Don't try and build habits on top of other habits at the same time, right? Mm -hmm. You're setting yourself up for failure. And so for me, uh, working out at 4 a.m., I'm not a morning person. So doing something that's already hard, working out at, uh, at 4 a.m., which is already, you know, that's hard in itself just to wake up at 4 a.m., that's setting myself up, up for failure. So instead, what I do is I work out at 3.30 p.m. every day, except for right now. I'm going to go to the gym right after this. But um, I, go to, I go to the gym every single day at about 3.30 because I've never, ever missed a day. I've never missed a day because I know that I'll be around at that time. I know that I'll be hydrated. I know that I'll be fed. I know that like, does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, it does. So like set yourself up to succeed if you're trying to create habits, but I don't know a single successful person with no habits, good yeah. ones, right? I read every day. I go to the gym every day, but I don't do it at 4 a.m., right? And so like, we're not superhumans, but we know what's, you know, like I know what's important. And I do make time for routines. I do have goals that are written down. Like there's a lot, success leaves a lot of clues. Yeah. And 99% of people that are successful, they, they followed those clues. But it's just not, not everybody's the same, right? So like, sure, waking up at 4 a.m. might work great for some people, but it doesn't work great for everybody. So just know that. Um, but everybody needs to have routines and habits. Yeah, no, that's amazing. And Brett, thank you so much for dropping all this value on our listeners today. Where's the best place for them to follow up with you at or, you know, view your journey? Yeah, so right now I'm actually putting a lot of effort into, I just started a YouTube channel. So you can go check me out on YouTube. It's just Brett Knutson, B-R-E-T-T-K-N-U-T-S-O-N. And then you can follow me on Instagram, just at Knutson, K-N-U-T-S-O-N. So thanks so much for having me. Yeah, you bet, Brett. Okay, we are done. And that is a wrap. Thank you so, so much for tuning into today's show and taking one step closer to becoming that future millionaire. All I'm asking from you guys is that you please take the short amount of time to review this episode. And once you do that, take a screenshot, send it to me on my Instagram, which is Gavin Lero with a period in the middle. And I will be sure to repost that in my Instagram story, give you guys a shout out. Or if you post something about the podcast, in your Instagram story. I will be sure to repost that and there's a little something extra to that I think you guys will like that will be attached to um, my response to you in the DMs. So look forward to that. All you have to do if you're on iTunes podcast app is you just have to pull up the current episode you're listening to. You hit the Purple Future Millionaires underneath the title of that episode. You scroll all the way down to the bottom past all the other episodes. Then you hit write a review which is underneath you know the five stars the visual five stars and you give it a title a quick description however amount of stars you think it's worth of course i preferably would love five (laughs) and then you hit send and all you have to do after that is just know that i am very thankful guys i really really believe that this is a very powerful education tool for your growth and i want you to succeed so please also reach out to me on instagram which is gavin period lira And I will be sure to answer any questions that you may have or, you know, any ideas you want to bounce off me. I love to hear them. I love entrepreneurship, helping other people. So let's all succeed together and you have an amazing day.